Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roadwire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, and now, of course, video cast. We are privileged to go live on screen with you today. Uh, I'm Jake Litarski, joined today by John Littering. Uh, give John a follow on Twitter at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today, we're going to be making our biggest uh, picks here, and I think I just lost John for a sec, so we'll get him back here in a second. Today, we're going to be making our biggest picks for the uh, biggest fights at UFC 268. Uh, that'll be Usman, Kamaru Usman, and Colby Covington. Of course, we've got uh, you know tons of content on the site for you. John's preview is already up and ready to go. Um, a little more housekeeping here as I add John back to the stream here. Um, we got Fight IQ confirmed official on Friday. That's Chris, Joe, and Sean. They're back to talk uh, fights after weigh-ins. So that'll be Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They'll go down through the entire card. John and I are going to mostly just talk about the main card, but we'll try to pull some... Uh, Pull some plays there from the undercard. John, we got Madison Square Garden this week, but it feels like just last week we were talking about UFC 267 on Fight Island here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that card? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, for the most part, all those guys who were pretty big favorites on the main card, really throughout the card, handled their business. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Bukovic to share fight was the uh, big upset, and we were talking right before we came on. Uh, Jan didn't look good, you know. Of course, I bit against him forever this time i went with him he lost um yep. that was probably done before it even started mm-hmm. i mean but, uh, it took him down so early right and then it almost seemed like jan's like well shoot i can't really do anything about this yeah and you know, i and mean then, and then he froze and was done right and when he tapped out like he ta- almost tapped before the choke even went in i know the forearm was like on his it was like immediate head. it was weird yeah. i mean look i said before i'll say again Blakovic could walk away tomorrow, and his UFC runs a massive success. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy was roster depth for a while, and I mean, he became UFC champion. So even if he does another thing, he's certainly outseated even the most optimistic expectations. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get back in the mix because I mean, light heavyweight's not a super deep division. So if he gets string together two or three more wins, and he has a win over Israel Adesanya, um, the only man to beat him. So look, Jan can get back in the mix. It wouldn't shock me and. I don't think Glover is the type of champion to hold the belt through multiple tile defenses. I mean, if his yeah. first defense is against Yuri Prohoshka. I was going to say, let's uh, yeah. let's guess the line here. How much do you think uh, Yuri is going to be a favorite against Glover? Minus I got a number three, in mind. Minus 300? I was going to say minus 250. So we're, we're kind of in the same ballpark. So Something like that. Yeah, he's yeah, definitely he'd he'd definitely being an underdog. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm looking on you know some of the consensus odd sites we use. They had put out Jiri against Jan odds, and Jiri was a minus one twenty favorite. But uh, of course, that fight may never happen now. But uh, that would have been a good price on him for that fight too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would definitely take Jiri there. Um, anything else? I mean, so yeah, you're right. The favorites took care of business. Kamzat's probably going to get a date with Neil Magny next or something. He came out and smashed, no problem, right? You know, the COVID in the past, he looked good to go. I can't believe he picked up Leach. Carried him over to Dana White and was talking smack. Then decided he was going to throw him down the ground and do his thing. That was wild. It was, and Lee Jingliang is tough, man. You don't. He might not win every fight, but you don't see him just get steamrolled like that. Yeah. And look, what Makachev did to Dan Hooker. These guys are legit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and both are probably in Makachev's case. You can make a case that he's he'll get a title shot now but i can't imagine either guy is more than 
one more impressive win away from being uh, at the very least in you know a, a like a you know eliminator type fight yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i mean yeah Kamzat, maybe neil magny next i mean Kamzat was supposed to face leon edwards at i mean Kamzat would kill neil magny yeah i think so but uh that seems it seems to be magny wants magny wants that fight and of course we i, I you know we got to mention Piotr Jan a little bit he just keeps getting stronger as the fight goes on that seems to be his style i think every time you see him as a favorite i don't know if the if the secret's out yet but you don't bet him until the fight starts, you live bet him in like round two or three, right? And expecting to pull away. I think that's the move with him just about every time. Yeah, he he kind of did the same thing against Sterling. I mean, he it was he was a little better early in the Sterling fight than he was against Sanhagen. But look, that's why I said this guy has like long-term staying power. Mm-hmm. You can't get him out of there. He's whatever he is, 28, 29. And he fights 25 minutes. He fights the last you know, four rounds, you know, like the first round, it's crazy. And the volumes there, he can take a punch when he has to. I mean, there's real long-term staying power here. This guy's good enough to hold the belt for, you know, a long time. He has that much. Nobody holds the belt for a long time in this sport these days. It seems like, but you know, this guy has the all around setup to be able to pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'll be a huge favorite against Sterling. He'll be a huge favorite against Dillashaw, and he'll probably finish them both if he, you know, just plays by the rules. So, uh, all right. So that, that's probably enough about UFC 267. I thought it was a fun card. It was a great card worth uh, waking up early for. Pretty chalky outside of the main event, but, you know, overall, you got to see a lot of the talent, uh, you know, some of that international talent really excel here. But now we're going to be back stateside. This has all the makings and feels of a big, big fight card here. We're at Madison Square Garden for UFC 258 or 268, excuse me. And uh, both of the fights are on the, the title fights in this card are rematches. So let's start with the main event, the World Welterweight Championship. We have the champion, Kamaru Usman, taking on Colby Covington. Uh, Usman is 9,300 on DraftKings. Covington is 6,900. They actually made an error when they very first put the salaries out and flipped them on accident. And, of course, that would have been a mess from DFS purposes, but they pulled the contest and re-put them out, so we're good to go. Odds to finish, minus 120. So, um, you know, you got two solid all-around fighters that, you know, maybe uh, you know maybe sees the final bell. Like, in the last fight, in their initial fight, I thought it very well could have seen the final bell, but it was stopped in the fifth round. Almost, be- It felt like it was because Covington broke his jaw. Usman broke his jaw. Covington wanted to continue, and Covington was real upset with the stoppage there. So, uh, you know, he, I'm sure Colby has plenty to say about that, as he does with everything else. But uh, this was an excellent fight the first time through here. How do you see it playing out the second time? So last week when we spoke, we spoke about how there weren't a lot of fights on the main card where you can make a great case for the underdog. Um, it was pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. This main card is is different. <clears throat> excuse me, in the sense where I think you can make a case for pretty much every underdog that they really have a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. This is a rematch of a December 2019 fight. Uh, Kamar Usman won that fight via fifth round knockout, like you mentioned. It was definitely lopsided by the time it was over. It was not lopsided most of the fight. Colby hung in pretty good for the vast majority of the fight. Um, Usman's fought three times since then. Um, two were against Jorge Masvidal, which honestly I kind of throw out the window. I, that was kind of more of those um, an event type fight in the sense that 
they were just trying to make money and drive pay-per-view vibes. You know, Jorge Mas, nobody really thought Jorge Masvidal had any chance of beating Kamaru Usman. The other fight was against Gilbert Burns, um, who certainly earned his opportunity. And Usman had a hard time in the Burns fight. He was knocked down early. Um, it looked for a, a little while that it, he was going to get stopped. Um, he managed to survive. Burns really emptied his gas tank going for the finish that he never got. Mm-hmm. Which and, is what you have to do against Yeah, him. oh, absolutely. I mean, have, the yeah. number one, arguably the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter, yep. at least for men in the entire world here. If you get any glimmer of hope, I think you have to go for broke because you're not going to outlast them over five, five rounds. Most people aren't. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. If you have that opening, you got to try and finish it. Um, it didn't work out. But look, that was probably one of Usman's better performances in the sense that he showed you he can hang in like that. He's not walking through guys and just hammering guys like he did with Mazidol a couple times. He fought through some deep waters and, um, you know, ended up hanging on there. It was some of the first real adversity Kamaru Usman had to face here. And uh, I guess I'll take it away with my analysis here while we hold on and, and wait to bring John back. Uh, a couple of things for me, just about the styles of this fight. Both of these fighters have absolutely incredible uh wrestling credentials here both of these guys are outstanding wrestlers they have it in their background and you often see when you get a fight like this with two good wrestlers that it ends up not going to the ground at all because they essentially neutralize each other and hence we get a stand-up affair and that's why we got the stand-up affair the first time and if we get that again fight fans are in for a treat absolutely now in this fight, uh, in the first fight, Kamaru Usman uh, outlanded Colby Covington 175 to 43 in significant striking. He did it at a much better accuracy rate. And of course, uh, you know, it was actually Covington that threw more volume. Covington attempted 395 significant strikes over the course of, you know, a little less than, than 25 minutes. Usman is credited with two knockdowns in that fight here. So, um, Obviously, you see ownership pretty high on these five-round fights, and it rightfully should be. Both these guys are volume guys that can take a punch. Uh, could absolutely be fight of the night again. It wouldn't surprise me um, you know, in, in the least bit. Uh, neither of them actually went for a takedown. They didn't even attempt to take down the entirety of the fight here. So what I'm getting at here is that I'm going to pick Kamaru Usman. I think that this is Usman's fight to lose. I think that they neutralize each other's wrestling and the strides that Usman has made in his striking game are allowing him to uh, to, to, to gain the championship and and to continue being the championship to the champion. Because early in his career, I mean, he went on a run of, you know, like eight or nine fights and they were almost all decisions. You know, he was a decision fighter, take you down, ride you out for control. But the striking that he's getting at Sanford MMA has been absolutely incredible. And you look at, on the other hand, Colby Covington, uh, apparently no longer allowed an American top team because of some of his antics. You know, he's at what a sure dog say here. He's at MMA masters now. Um, so, you know, top to bottom, I think Usman's, you know, he's got enough chin to hang in there. And as we saw over a 20 minute sample in the first fight, maybe the striking's a little bit more polished here. So I'm picking Usman for this fight. I don't think that's all that tough of a decision, but Colby Covington is 6,900 on DraftKings. I think you absolutely put him in your lineup in a cash game play because uh, I know the striking counts, you know, the totals are a little different here, but you're getting 70 points. I mean, Covington got almost 80 points from strikes in that fight, just from strikes. You know, you see winners all the time in the UFC not get 80 points, you know, for if they're getting a decision. So whether this gets a finish early or whether this goes to the decision, I don't see it finishing early. Both these guys are, uh, you know, they, they've got crazy chins. They're in the prime of their careers. They're ready for this. You know, they're hyped. Uh, both these guys are ready to go. But in, you know, 
I don't think you're going to get the 12x you need for GPPs out of Covington, but absolutely throw him in your 50-50 in your double-up lineups, and he's a very perfect safe play because, I don't know, I like him at 6,900 a lot better than the you know low to mid-8,000 tier uh, on this fight. So you could stack this fight if you wanted to, I guess is what I'm saying. But, you know, Covington's perfect for catch games whether you, you pay up for Usman or not. Yeah, Covington's certainly underpriced. You know, 6900 is a perfectly reasonable price for a guy with his talent level and really his durability. Like you mentioned, no one's going to get him out of there quickly. So, you know, he should have plenty of time to rack up a lot of points of his own. Um, for some reason, I really wanted to pick Covington in this fight. Uh, Usman's had some problems early on. Um, I think Kobe would be smart to just try and blitz him right off the hop, a lot like Burns did and try and get the finish. Ultimately, I, I did go with Usman simply because, you know, he's shown that durability and that ability to fight through those tough circumstances. And that was what ended up swinging me in the end. But I definitely think Colby's like a real value play. His gas tank, his abilities don't come along frequently at 6,900. So, you know, I, I don't, we talk about stacks a lot. You know, I generally don't like it. And I certainly don't like doing it frequently as far as if you're the type to make multiple lineups i wouldn't be stacking yeah. you know, frequently but if you want to throw a couple with it and just hope these guys beat the hell out of each other and it does last you know 23 24 minutes like it did the first time yeah. i don't think it's the worst idea in the world i think both guys are going to land a bunch i think both guys are going to absorb a lot of damage so i don't think it's a terrible idea yeah there's a six hundred thousand dollar gpp uh, i think it's called the ufc 268 special that's giving out 200 grand to first place. I mean, pretty top heavy there. You're not going to win that tournament with a stack. You know, let's get real. You got to pick the six earliest knockouts on the card and hope for the best. So you're not going to, it's not a strategy there. But if you're playing in, you know, some, I know they have like a big $5 double up. You know, it's a good way if you're new or a novice to MMA to kind of dip your toes in. Or if you're playing a head to head with somebody or even a, you know, even most 50 50 contests, I think, uh, you know, th that's those cash games are where you can uh, go ahead and stack someone like Covington and know, you know, some of these guys, you pick the underdog. Most people you see at 6,900, there's a real risk. They end up with like five or less fantasy points. That's not the case with Covington. I yep. very much, I, as much as I think Usman's going to win, I don't think he's going to run in and blitz him and put him, get him out of there that quickly. So Covington's going to hold up. It's going to be durable. It's going to be close. If you use Usman, you're going to definitely sweat a couple times in that fight because Make no mistake, Covington clocked him a couple times in that first round. And, you know, we just saw Usman's chin uh, hold up. So, I mean, that's why I think for me, the pick had to be Usman. I didn't really see too many ways this would go differently than from the first fight. But great value on Covington is where is where we're going to round this out at here. But we do. That is not the only title fight here. Actually, real quick, um, this is weird for our, view, our video viewers. So I got to pause for a word from our sponsors at Blue Wire. And then we'll jump into the Women's Strawweight Championship. Rose Namajunas, Zhang Wai Li. Uh, this one, very, very close. Very, very close on, on DraftKings and uh, and in the sports books here. Uh, Namajunas is 8,200 on DraftKings. Zhang is 8,000. Now, looking at the odds, I think they were minus 110 apiece um, the other day when I posted your preview. And I saw maybe it was a John Anik tweet out there that Zhang Wiley has pulled ahead just a little bit. So, like, let's take our friends at DraftKings, for example. On DraftKings right now, Zhang Wiley is minus a 120 favorite and Rose is plus 100. So, in theory, there's some line value on Zhang Wiley. Um, I know Zhang was a big favorite for the first fight. 
And then you were, I remember you, John, in your, in your underdog special video, you came out and said Rose was going to win. You got that special right here. Um, are you sticking to what works? Yeah, I, I am. And like you said, this uh, essentially Rose from the GK salaries, Rose is 8,200, Zhang is 8K. Salaries are, you know, it's about as close to a pick as you get. Um, I think the first, what we got to try and figure out here is, will this fight be any different than the first fight? And if so, why? Now, Rose won the first fight with a head kick that felt kind of fluky at the time. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't be wagering on Rose landing too many knockout head kicks moving forward. Um, but that being said, the improvement in Rose's stand-up game the last many years is the direct reason she's had the success that she's had. She's always been good on the mat. She's always had exceptional cardio. She's always kept a really good pace. But it's the improvement in her stand-up that has really elevated her career. Um, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise, I guess. Her fiancé, Pat Barry... Uh, former UFC fighter, former pro kickboxer. So she's getting daily training with you know, a high-level striker. Um, but it's an area where early in her career, not only was she like not good, she was like bad. Rose was a below-average striker in the early portion of her career, and it cost her. Yeah, I mean, um, she got it done with grappling back then. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, you know, you would years ago when she first came in, if she was involved in an extended kickboxing match, she'd be at a really, really distinct disadvantage. She's improved enough in the sense that it's her striking is above average now. You know, it's not elite. Um, you know, I think in an extended kickboxing match, Zhang would have an advantage because she certainly has more power. But Rose has done enough in her striking to remain competitive on the feet to the point that she can get to the other parts of her game where she's really good. Now. Before the loss to Rose the first time out, Zhang had won her first five UFC fights. Um, she beat pretty good competition. She took a unanimous decision from Tisha Torres. She knocked out Jessica Andrade. She took that split decision from Joanna in what was one of the biggest, best fights of the year. Um, that was the best women's fight of all time. I yeah, that was unbelievable. There's no question about that. If you get want something to go watch, it's on UFC 248. It's out of Sanya Romero. That main event led everyone. To, I remember bringing people over, you know, talking up the main event, and then everyone saw the Jacek Zhang fight and was just like, "What the heck is this main event? That girl fight was way better." Yep, and it was. Zhang throws a ton. She lands a ton. She's up at 6.36 significant strikes a minute, which is ridiculously high. The flip side, she eats 4.42. Now, she's landing nearly two more significant strikes a minute than she's absorbing. Mm -hmm. But 4.42 is a lot. That's a high number. Yeah, not... well, I mean, you have to take into account Joanna put 186 on her. Yeah, right. that's and definitely she part took, of it. She took four from Andrade, 30 from Torres over the 15-minute fight, nine from Aguilar, and 34 from Daniel Taylor in her UFC debut. I wouldn't say her defense is bad. She just ran into Joanna. Yeah, her defense isn't bad, but she's certainly looking to throw volume on the feet. And when you throw volume on the feet like that, you're going to get stuff coming back your way. Now, the good news is, other than the um, Rose head kick, she's been able to handle that the volume coming back her way really well. Um, you know, there it's fair to wonder if the damage Wang has absorbed, uh, Zhang has absorbed, has any sort of impact over the long term. It probably won't, at least not yet. 
but it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, I don't this think is a, far enough along in her career. To, to no, no, you know, that. that's some something that you look at down the line. This is essentially a pick em. Um, I'm going to wager pretty much that Rose's improvement and her cardio and the pressure she provides on the feet will be enough to get it done again. Um, I would say this is more likely than not to see the final bell. Um, Zhang's durable. You know, you saw everything she ate in the Joanna fight and just kept go- moving forward. So I wouldn't say that the fact Rose knocked her out in the first fight is predict, uh, you know, is any way to look at the kind of result that will happen here. You know, I think this would more likely than not go to a decision. Um, I'm going to take Rose, but I really have no strong preference either way. If someone wants to say they want to take Zhang, I, you know, I would say that's fine. I don't think there's a whole lot separating between the two. And I think it's pretty much just going to come down to how much, how Rose can hang on the feet. Um, You know, she's going to have to eat some power shots again. Mm-hmm. And in a fight that if it gets past the first round, which I think it certainly should, and Zhang does start to land more volume than she landed the first time, how's Rose going to handle that? Because mm-hmm. she didn't have to absorb three and four rounds worth of Zhang's power in the first fight. So if that happens this time around, I'm curious to see how she'll hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for the first fight, I was on Zhang, and she was about, I want to say, a minus 220 favorite for that one. Um, so obviously Vegas thought, thought they had something back then. And of course we have things getting a little more, um, you know, a, a lot more close this time after that first outcome, but I'm going to be on Jang again for a couple of reasons here. Uh, one is that I don't necessarily think the outcome of their first flight would be fair to call a fluke, but the manner in which it happened was not only a little bit fluky, but I also think that is correctable for Zhang, you know, from a striking standpoint here. So what I see is, so Rose did a great job. I was out in Vegas for that fight. I had to catch the replay recently. Um, But so what Rose was doing is she had kind of a tell in her striking and she would throw the low kick, the calf kick, you know, to the leg or whatever. And you could tell when she went up for that head kick, Zhang was looking low to defend that. Like, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on me, fool me, tw- or, or however it goes, fool me twice. I don't think Zhang's going to get fooled twice by that move necessarily. Now can Zhang, or now can Rose and Pat Barry come together and, um, you know, find a, find a different way, find a different, like, little area of striking, see something on film that they're able to complete? Yeah, sure, absolutely. That could happen again. You know, it, it happened once. I'm not ruling it out necessarily. But uh, I think that the reason Zhang lost is correctable. And I'm not quite sure that Rose, I know Rose got, um, she was, she got, uh, or I'm sorry, she got uh, Joanna with, uh, you know, a, a TKO with punches, but I don't know if she's going to be able to necessarily finish Zhang with her fists unless something happened where she would be able to get a takedown and pass guard and get into full mount and then rain ground and pound, maybe then, but. I think if this is a stand-up battle, which I would largely expect, and also one that could go 25 minutes, um, I mean, both of these fighters are excellent plays on DraftKings. They're probably, you probably want to take a stand here, um, especially in your cash games, because, you know, 8,200, it's it's what, 83.33 per fighter you get on average. So even picking the favorite here gets you under budget and gives you a little bit more budget uh, to open up with. Um, but I'm going to go with Zhang because, listen, I I don't necessarily think that much less of her after the head kick, I think that that's a correctable mistake. And I think she's uh, still, you know, obviously it, it feels weird saying this after the outcome, but I still think Zhang's the better striker and probably has a better chin too. And 
Um, well, I mean, you know, looking looking at these, it's not like uh, Rose has ever been finished, knocked out, uh, or I guess there's one on here, the slam, you know, but that doesn't really count. But anyway, I no, I think uh, I think Zhang's going to be able to overwhelm with volume and land more. I don't think she's going to get fooled by that same move. And I'll take it by decision, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to take it by decision, uh, but it's definitely going to be Zhang for me. And like you said, though, this is one that we're going to be probably split down the middle when our staff picks come out on Thursday. This is one that could go either way, but I think the value is Zhang puts me even more over the edge and, you know, everything that I thought last time going into this fight, still, it brings me here. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. I expect a close fight. You know, I don't think there's any, any problem going either way, regardless of who you pick. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's keep it going here. Here's our fight of the night candidate i mean if they did props for most likely to win fight of the night this would probably be minus money um, but we've got justin gaethje uh against michael chandler one of the best fights you can make in the lightweight division i mean a couple guys coming off of losses but these are absolute elite world-class fighters here gaethje's the betting favorite minus 210 comeback on chandler plus 170 the DraftKings salaries also reflect that we have uh, 8900 for gaethje 7300 for chandler and the odds to finish are the best mark the most likely finish that you're going to get on the entire uh, main card, the entire pay-per-view portion of this card. It is minus 280 odds to finish here. So I'll go to you first, John. How do you see this one breaking down? Uh, this is going to be, this should be terrific. I can't wait for this. Michael Chandler's fought twice in the UFC. Um, knocked out Dan Hooker in January in just about two minutes. Fought Charles Oliveira for the vacant UFC lightweight title in May. Chandler, for all the world, had Charles Oliveira beat. Like to this day, I still can't figure out how he wasn't able to get the stoppage. Um, he had him like flattened down along the fence, and I think he, some judges had it as a ten-eight. Yeah, oh yeah, it had to have been. And I, I was shocked that he wasn't able to get the stoppage. Um, Chandler emptied his gas tank going for the finish, which never came. Uh, early in the second round, he ended up getting knocked out himself. Um, certainly not the result Chandler was looking for, but. There was a perception that when Chandler was in Bellator, he made his name by beating up on inferior competition. I think we've seen through his first two UFC bouts with Hooker and Oliveira that Michael Chandler is really good. You know, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, on the flip side, uh, it's been over a year on the sidelines for Justin Gaethje. Uh, last October, he was submitted by Herbie Namagamedov in a fight that was not competitive. Um I kind of want to give Gaethje a pass there. I'm uh, for years. If you get beat by Habib, I don't really hold it against you because Habib beat everybody. So, you know, that's not really a huge knock on Gaethje. This from a stylistic standpoint should be much more favorable for Gaethje. Um, the Habib fight was just a bad set of circumstances all, all the way around. Gaethje has done better in the UFC than I would have guessed. You know, he's has some notable wins. Michael Johnson, James Vick back when Vick was good. Edson Barbosa, Cowboy Cerrone, Tony Ferguson. He's beat good guys. But I think one of the main things to take a look at there is what pretty much every guy on that list has in common is that after their fights with Gaethje, they all seemingly fell off a cliff. Like it's been downhill for all of them since fighting Gaethje. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is just the wear and tear he puts on you. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about the yeah. sig significant strikes earlier. Justin Gaethje lands 7.46 significant strikes per minute, which is mind-numbing. But then you flip it and go the other way, and he absorbs 7.99. He absorbs eight significant strikes a minute. And 
maybe I'm being stubborn because it hasn't really happened yet, but I am still firmly 100% convinced that sooner or later, all this damage he's taken is going to catch up to him. It hasn't happened yet, but I, I truly believe that you can't be involved in as many wars as this guy's been involved in and absorb as much damage as he's absorbed. And it's not going to have some kind of lasting long-term impact here. And I went back and forth on this fight and I looked at the salaries and the odds and I just couldn't get past the value Chandler provides. Like it's like, there's no way in a hundred million years, Justin Gaethje is worth $1,600 more in salary than Michael Chandler. It's just not happening. And if you want to tell me Gaethje deserves to be a betting favorite because of, you know, his durability and whatever, like that's fine. But even minus 210, that's way too much. You know, you want to tell me he's minus 140, minus 145, minus 150. Okay. Minus 210 is too much. It just seems everything's inflated in Gaethje's favor. I'm worried. Sure. I'm definitely worried that Gaethje's durability He'll be able to essentially do what Oliver did in the sense that he'll be able to hang on whenever Chandler, you know, has momentum and eventually just finish finish off Chandler himself, you know, when he does survive. Um, but I ultimately I think Chandler's the more technical fighter. Um, I know his cardio didn't look great in the Oliveira fight, um, but I expect it to be a little better here. I think a three round fight probably favors Chandler a little bit. Um simply because that durability gate she has could come into play if it was a five round fight over the last uh you know two rounds. But you know, I'm basically and I have been from the beginning, I've been looking for spots to fade to fade Gatesy when I can. I just don't think his style of fighting is sustainable. Um Michael Chandler's certainly a talented opponent. You know, he has a track record of performing well uh, you know in the UFC against some good fighters. And the value that he provides is just too much for me to overcome. So I'm going to take the uh, $7,300 underdog here. Yeah. So for me, I mean, if Gaethje were to face Poirier, I'd pick Poirier again. If Gaethje were to face Makachev, I would pick Makachev here. But I think Chandler is within reason uh, an opponent for Justin Gaethje. And I also really like, you mentioned all the damage that he's done. This is the first time since joining the UFC, really, that he's taken over a year off. That just, uh, it just doesn't happen for a guy like him. He liked to be very active. And, uh, you know, he only ate, what, 29 significant strikes in the Khabib fight. Um, you know, and then, of course, if Tony Ferguson put him on him, put 136 on him, Dustin Poirier put 174 on him, Eddie Alvarez put 155 on him. So, yeah, he's taken some beatings to get to that uh, eight significant strikes absorbed per minute. But I think for a guy like that, taking a year off is the absolute best thing that you can do here so you know with that in mind you know i want to touch on a couple other aspects here uh one is you would see you look at gaethje's takedown defense and it's at 69 percent and chandler on the other hand you know is, is is known as a pretty good wrestler averages a couple takedowns per 15 minutes so you'd think just by looking at the numbers you'd think maybe that's an edge for chandler i'm gonna say no it's not the takedown defense is weird with Gaethje because nobody except for Habib really, really tried to, to get takedowns on him. He's an all-American wrestler. He has all the wrestling credentials here. That's why a lot of people thought he'd have a chance against Habib because he'd be able to defend the takedown. Well, of course, nobody can defend Habib's takedowns. He gets that high crotch on you, your toast. Um, so, again, we write that off like we do everything else. So, 
you might see a wrestling advantage on paper, but I'm just saying in real life, that's not going to be there. Gaethje is a couple years younger than um, than Chandler, and uh, Gaethje has a one-inch reach and three-inch height advantage, too, on Chandler here. So all in all, I respect what Chandler's done since he came to the UFC. I mean, he was almost champion. He was so close to being champion. Uh, didn't quite get it done there, um, but the body of work, you know, and you also made a good point about, you know, Gaethje's opponents, you know, tending to fizzle out afterwards. And, and that's, and that's fair enough here, but I think Gaethje is the rightful favorite. I think he gets it done with volume and is very, very live for a first round finish in this fight. That's why the price tag is that high. Now I think there might be a good amount of people that see it your way and see the value on Chandler, but uh, I don't know if that's enough to make Gaethje a leverage play necessarily, but uh I mean, there are a lot of people in his tier that you really have to, uh, you know, you have to consider uh, in, in when you're tr- when you're trying to build lineups here. I mean, Gaith G is about the same price as Burgos, Chido Vera. You know, we're going to talk about those guys in a second, so we might as well just move on. But I'm but I'm going Gaith G in this fight. I think uh, it, the year off is probably the biggest factor, if anything, for me in getting him a chance to reset. Um, you know, getting the chin a chance to reset, and uh, he's gonna go in there looking for a brawl, looking for a fight, and it's gonna be awesome. And I'm all here for it. Yeah, the, you made a good point. The year off is definitely a positive. If you're looking at this fight from Gaethje's standpoint, having that time off to just rest up is definitely a plus in his favor. Yeah, right on. All right, so I alluded to it a second ago. We got a couple more fights to talk about on the main card. I wanted to set up the table for a featherweight matchup between Hurricane Shane Burgos at 9,000 on DraftKings and Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo, 7,200 on DraftKings. Burgos is a minus 200 betting favorite. Comeback on Quarantillo, plus 170. Odds to finish are plus 105. Shane Burgos likes taking people into deep waters. He drags them into deep waters and often gets finishes or puts uh, life-altering beatings on you. Although the results haven't been that great, obviously I think we both have a tremendous amount of respect for the body of work Shane Burgos has put in to date here. Uh, But who do you have in this fight against the guy in Quarantillo who maybe doesn't have the same resume, but he's looked pretty good lately as well? Yeah, he has. I mean, this is pretty much last call for Shane Burgos. Um, He's lost two fights in a row, knocked out by Edson Barbosa, dropped the unanimous decision to Josh Emmett. Um, Burgos has to find a way here. Um, Not quite on the same level as Gaethje, but it's a similar story in the sense that Burgos is the type of guy who will eat a strike to land two of his own. Um, Land 7.29 significant strikes a minute. Absorb 6.11. You know, the the strikes landed is an ungodly number, but the strikes absorbed is far, far too high. Um, There are very few fighters on the UFC roster. Gaethje is probably one of the only ones who comes to mind who can absorb that kind of punishment on a consistent basis and just hang in there. And to Shane Burgos' credit, he's held up pretty well as far as durability, but, you know, that stand-up defense is a concern. Um, you're right about Billy Corn to Billy Q. He's been good, you know, four and one since joining the UFC. Knocked out Gabriel Benitez this past July, and I like Benitez. He's kind of always been a little bit underrated, so that was a good win. Uh, you know, Billy has more of an all-around game. You know, he's more like he's the more likely of the two to wrestle. You know, averages upwards of about you know, little over one and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. Um, I don't think this. I think the majority of this fight's going to be contested on the feet. Um, I think Billy's certainly the more likelier of the two to wrestle if that is the route he goes. 
Um, on the flip side, Shane Burgos defends to take down at 89%, which is exceptional. So I think this is more than likely going to be a kickboxing match. Um, I wrote in my preview column, the thing that I find most fascinating about this fight is the size of these two men. You know, you're in a 145-pound division. Burgos is 5'11", and Quarantil is 5'10". Um, Burgos does have a 5-inch reach edge, which, if it does turn into a kickboxing match, you know, could be a very, very important piece. Huge featherweights. Both of, you, them. Both of them are gigantic. And, you know, I'm curious how Quarantil looks as the smaller man. You know, it's he's not used to facing a guy who's taller than he is. Some guys, it doesn't affect them at all. Some guys have a problem judging distance and stuff when they find a bigger guy standing across the cage from them. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I pretty I went with Burgos here. You know, it was a pretty quick decision. I didn't have to think about this one too much, at least not for me. Um, you know, Quarantale does have seven knockouts, but I think Billy's more of a more of a volume guy in terms of his knockouts. I don't think there's a ton of you know, one punch, pure knockout power there. I think it's more volume. And, you know, look, I wouldn't put it past him getting it done, especially considering how much damage Burgos tend to absorb on the feet. But I think there's a speed advantage for Burgos. Um, as long as he's not reckless, you know, picks his spots fairly well, doesn't go rushing in, not paying attention to what's coming back his way, I think he should be okay. Mm-hmm. I don't hate Billy at 7,200. We know Burgos absorbs a lot of damage, so as a seventy-two hundred-dollar punt play, you know I don't hate Billy because I think there's going to be volume there. But um, if Burgos is able to pick his spots and not do anything stupid, I think he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going with the dog here. Actually, uh, there are a couple reasons that led me to that. Uh, number one, Shane Burgos taken a lot of damage lately he uh ate 127 significant strikes against josh emmett and then 98 against edson barbosa and the other factor here is you know it seems like burgos can you know tear through the middle tier of the division fine but when he faces competition like calvin cater josh emmett edson barbosa who maybe even aren't the elite of the division when he faces a step up that's when all of his losses are so if you look at their wins you know between the two guys side by side they're not a ton different in my eyes necessarily despite the fact that quarantillo um you know has less fights and uh you know hasn't quite faced the same talent yet um Quarantillo, uh, he got his contract on Contender Series. He's 4-1 and one in the UFC. He's looked really great. The one exception has been the loss to Gavin Tucker, and Gavin Tucker took him down seven times in that fight. That was essentially uh, the undoing there. I mean, Tucker controlled over a third of the fight here. Um, you know, it was... And Tucker has been, uh, you know, I guess he, he just took a loss to Danny Gay too. So he's been, he's been on his way up. But anyway, what I'm saying is Quarantillo's big undoing in that fight was the takedown, and that's not really something that Burgos brings to the table. Only .27 takedowns per 15 minutes here. So, you know, pretty much non-existent in that case. I mean, Burgos hasn't had a takedown since Godfredo Pepe. So, I mean, I guess that's what should tell you that back in 2017. But uh, no, I like, uh, it's a career trajectory thing for me too. You know, Quarantillo seems like he's a guy that's on the up and up here. And Burgos has, you know, ran into some tough guys lately, taken a ton of damage and maybe someone like Quarantillo can get to him here. So uh, I love the price tag. I love the discount it offers. I'll have a couple of shares there. I'm picking him for the site, and I don't think I'm the only one. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only reason that we're breaking a Burgos unanimous 
just uh, selection here across the staff here. I think there are a few guys that are real big supporters and can get it, and think he can get it, get it done. Yeah, this I, this is there are a few fight. There are very few fights on this main card that really all of them you kind of expect action. You know, both are just high energy guys throw a lot of volume. Like you said, I have no problem with him as an underdog play, especially from the DraftKings standpoint. I think he's a good salary saver only because I think he's going to land a bunch even if he doesn't win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the biggest favorite on this entire card is Ian Gary over Jordan Williams, maybe, or or who else? What do we got here? Phil Hawes is... Yeah, no, it's Ian Gary's the biggest favorite, followed by Phil Hawes. I mean, I am going to have a much tougher time with my survivor knockout pool picks this week. Um, than than I than I did last week. That's for sure. Here, I mean, Ian Gary is minus three sixty five. There had to be what? There were at least what? Probably three or four fighters on the card last week. More on the than main that. card that were more than that. Yeah. You know? So this is a, this is a closer, definitely a closer card from the odds standpoint. All right, let's keep moving down the line. There's one more main card fight we need to discuss here. Frankie Edgar against Marlon Vera. Vera minus 165 betting favorite. Comeback on Edgar plus 145. Vera is 8,800 on DraftKings. So, I mean, you're picking between Vera, Burgos, and Gaethje, really, you know, in a lot of lineups. Those are the calls you're going to have to make. Vera's 8,800 on DraftKings. Edgar is 7,400. Odds to finish on this one, plus 110. Judges seem to think, or Vegas seems to think that this one will get to the judges here. What were your initial thoughts uh, when you saw this fight, John? And, uh, you know, who do you see coming away with the win? So, look, Frankie Edgar turned, let me just get this right. Yeah, 40 years of age last month. So, I get the fact that betting on a 40-year-old is not a good idea especially a guy who's only fighting for a third time at Bantam Lane, obviously, you know, Frankie, you know, dropped down. So he tried a new division. Um, the returns in his new division haven't been great. He was knocked out in 28 seconds by Corey Sandhagen in February. Um, he dropped a split decision to Pedro Munez before that. Frankie was undersized at featherweight. Goes, but... Yeah, that's a different oh, story. Yeah, he got, yeah, he beat him. Yeah. Frankie was undersized at featherweight, so um, although the decision to drop down a weight class in your late 30s is a strange one, um, I didn't really have a problem with it from Frankie's standpoint. Um, look, Edgar's talented enough, and we know he keeps himself in great shape. He has one of the best cardios in the history of the sport. Um, he should be able to have some success in bantamweight. You know, I don't think he's a true title contender at this point. You know, if you asked him deep down, I don't he'll think he cut a ton of weight at one forty five. No, he's not a big guy. This is easier than than most. You know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the move down. Yeah, he's five the- six. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he really wanted to make flyweight. I'm I'm sure it wouldn't be impossible, but you know, probably not at this age, but. Nah, probably down one is probably his limit. But look, I think he can hang around at bantamweight. I don't think he's a title contender. But look, I, I think he could, you know, hang around in the top ten, back half of the top ten. I don't see why not, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheeto Vera, his opponent, is underrated. I don't think that's up for debate. Um, the problem with Cheeto is Vera's always had a problem when tasked with facing better competition. Now, you know, I don't want to hear people come out telling me he'd beat Sean O'Malley last August. He was going to lose to Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley got hurt. It turned the entire tide of the fight, so I'm not even counting that. Um, it's hard to poke holes in Vera. The guy's seven and two in his last nine fights, so he's obviously fought well. Um, I don't think his ceiling's all that high. 
Um, but he does have a bunch of experience. He's fought a bunch of, you know, decent guys and he's young at 29 is not old. Um, Frankie's definitely the better guy in the standup, particularly from a defensive standpoint. Um, Vera's a little bigger. So I, I'm curious if that will potentially stop Frankie from trying to wrestle only because he knows he's got a bigger opponent to deal with. Um, you know, if he loses his position on the ground or something, he's got a guy with a bigger frame on top of him. Yeah. Two inches in height, two inches in reach. It's not too bad. No, nah, nothing crazy. You know, look, I'm still not sold on Vera is pretty much what it comes down to to me. I think these guys, when you look at the big picture, they're both perfectly capable bantamweights. I don't think either is a top tier guy. I think at this point in Frankie's career and what we've seen from Vera thus far, you're probably looking at back half of the top 10 guys, you know, guys who are somewhere between seven and 10 at Bantam, you know, something like that. Um, so again, this is kind of the way I came to the decision in the Gaith G Chandler fight. I just, I simply don't see the gap. Like I don't have a problem with the Vegas odds. The Vegas odds seem fine. You want to tell me Frankie doesn't have a win at Bantam late. He's plus 145 against Vera. Okay, whatever. That is what it is. Um, but there's enough enough value for me on Frankie at 7,400 to make him my pick. Um, you know, Frankie's going to show up in shape. You know, Vera's not, doesn't really possess that explosiveness to overwhelm Frankie. You know, I don't think there's going to be, you know, a big knockout coming from Vera or anything like that. You want to tell me everything was equal? I could get, you know, either guy at the same price tag. I would probably take Vera, but there's certainly enough here for me to roll with Frankie as an underdog. I, I really just don't see much of a gap. Uh, you know, Prejo Munoz is good, and you know, Frankie beat him. You know, he dropped the decision, you know, by the judges, but you know, I thought Frankie won that fight, and Frankie we all know how he ate 166 significant strikes in that fight. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> uh, Frankie's held up pretty well. You know, the chin's a concern for a guy who's 40 years old, but. You know, Frankie's going to come in in great shape, and I think that plays a role in it. You know, if you're in good shape, that helps your durability. And I just, I don't, you know, I never, I just, I don't see Marlon Vera as a high ceiling guy. He's solid, steady, but I don't think he's an upper tier guy. And if you're looking at Frankie's body work, look, you want to tell me 7,400? I'll roll the dice at that price. Yeah, sure. So first, I'll start off here by saying that, uh, I don't think this is really a fight to target uh, for DFS really at all much. I mean, you have two guys with pretty decent takedown defenses that both average under four significant strikes landed per minute here. So you're looking, you know, one way or another, you're looking at, uh, you know, a relatively low scoring decision here. And um, so I'll start by saying I'm probably staying away from it. But, you know, I guess we're here and I have to make a pick here. I'm going to go with the favorite. I just, I think Edgar's probably a little bit washed at this stage. Now, like I said, look good against Munoz. And then, of course, you know, he takes that flying knee against Sandhagen. Sandhagen is world class. We know that. Um, you know, he and, and Edgar's fought plenty of killers too. So I don't want to completely discount him. I mean, I'd say he's a future Hall of Famer for sure. But uh, I think Vera is going to be able to out volume him a little bit. And I think Vera will also be able to do just enough to stay on his feet and counteract Edgar's wrestling here. But so I guess, you know, if you're playing, yeah, if you're playing DFS and had to pick one of the two, you might as well take the guy 
that gives you the value with Edgar. But I guess in a straight up pick, I, I'm going Vera. I think I think he'll be able to outland him as, as a much younger fighter. In 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 what I see as a pretty low scoring decision here. So. Yeah, I mean, in the DFS fight, if you know from a perspective, if you don't think either guy is going to do a ton to help you, mm-hmm. then you take the cheaper guy. I mean, you know, yeah. in ideal world, you don't take either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think, if I think there if, are what 13, 14 fights on this card, something like plenty, that. There, there are plenty of options to pick from. You don't need to force yourself yeah. in this fight, is what I'm saying. And unlike last week, there are actually, um, there. Are, I mean, at least personally, there are a handful of underdogs I do like. So right. I'm sure that's where yeah. we're going to go right now. Well, yeah, exactly. Let's let's go right there. Let's go right there right now. Here, uh, you got a couple dogs. I mean, like I said, there are a lot of fights. Um, you know. I, you know, I, we each put out a few dogs here, um, and we know Covington is a good place for cat uh, for cash ga- games. You like Chandler at seventy three hundred and Edgar at seventy four hundred. I like Billy Q at seventy two hundred here, but it's a big card here. Anybody else catch your eye? I got three. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, there are three. Um, the obvious one, at least to me, right off the page, and you know, I'm going full homer here. The obvious one is Ally Kunta. I knew that was coming. It, I, it, you know, even uh, you know, I don't care. Minus real estate agent, I can. Yeah, you know, I don't care that I went to the same high school as the guy. You know, that's irrelevant. This is, I don't get this one at all. Ally Quinta is seventy six hundred and plus one fifty. Bobby Green is eighty six hundred and minus one seventy. Ally Quinta has been on the sidelines for Jesus more than two years. October 6, 2019, he was dropped the unanimous decision to Dan Hooker. Ali Quintas lost three of his last four fights. He lost to Dan Hooker. He dropped the five of the night decision to Cowboy Cerrone. And he was dropped the unanimous decision to Habib when he ended up fighting for the title after that whole disaster in Brooklyn with the bus and everything. Um, so, yes, I know he's lost three or four. I know he hasn't fought in two years. Mm-hmm. Bobby Green has fought. Let me get this right. Uh, Al was October 2019. So Bobby Green has fought one, two, three, four. Bobby Green has fought six times since the last time Al Iaquinta fought. Now, look, I don't want to say that doesn't mean anything. And I know Octagon Rust is real. We say that all the time. I know Dominic Cruz says it isn't. It is. So Al Iaquinta has, you know, spent a lot of time on the sidelines. But look, Bobby Green hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire. Going back to December 2018. He's three and four. He has wins over Clay Guido, Lando Venata, and Alan Patrick. All of those were via decision. He has losses to Rafael Faziz, Thiago Moises, Francisco Trinaldo, and Jacar Close. All of those via decision. In fact, um, Bobby Green hasn't seen a fight that hasn't gone to decision since UFC 199 when he was knocked out by Dustin Poirier in June of 2016. Even if you don't think Al Iquint is going to win, there is unquestionable value on him here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the time away probably did Al some good. Um, I think fighting at Madison Square Garden can only serve to help him. He's certainly going to have the crowd behind him. No doubt. He's, he, he, he's a good, <clears throat> excuse me, he's a good value. You know, even if you don't think he's going to win, he's unquestionably a good value. Um, I would take him straight up over Bobby Green. I really would. Um, so that's my number one play. Um, my number two is going to sound crappy, too, because now I'm going with the guy who lives around the corner from my mom's house, and that's John Vellante. Um, oh look, this guy. Yeah, I know. And betting on John Vellante is a disaster. I've lost, you know, God knows how much money. It's been bad for John lately. He is two and six in his last eight fights. 
Um, Volante's problem is his cardio. You know, he's often not in shape. And well, I mean, he moved up to heavyweight just to yeah, stop cutting weight. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, there were some bad losses in there. You know, he lost to their crochet boss, which is you know never a good sign. I mean, yeah, there pro- it says arm triangle choke, but didn't Maurice Green just like lay on him? And yes, but essentially, he just laid on him, and Volante just said, "Okay, I'm done." So, look, I'm not making excuses. There's nothing more terrifying in the world than betting on John Volante to win an MMA fight. But he's fighting a guy in Chris Barnett who is 5'9 and about 265 pounds. <laughs> Volante is 6'3. And Barnett has, I believe, let me get this correct. He has one UFC fight. Yeah. He was submitted by Ben Rothwell in May. Yeah, I mean, this is barely even a Bellator level heavyweight. Th- like. Yeah, that's my point. This is bad. Like, <laughs> and you look at it this way. Like, let me make sure I have the odds right. John Vellante, they're both okay. When I wrote up my column, they were both minus one ten. Barnett's eighty three hundred. Vellante seventy nine hundred. Like, I know Vellante's been really bad, but like, if we're looking at it, like, truly, who is Chris Barnett? And no disrespect to him, but who is Chris Barnett to be favored over anybody in the UFC? Mm-hmm. Like, I know Volante's cardio is terrible, but, like, the guy can take a punch. Like, the guy can take many yeah. punches. So, like, you know, and he's only 7,900 on DraftKings, and he has power. So, if you want to tell me that Volante can hang in, I mean, obviously, you know, if he doesn't show up in fight, shape. Fight doesn't go to a decision is minus 200. And generally, you want to target those higher minus money fights. So that's Right. So you look at that. There. I would, I mean, look, I would keep an eye on how Volante looks at the weigh-in. Um, he hasn't fought since last December. And I'm not sure all the time on the sidelines for him is a good thing. Yeah, I wouldn't but, be surprised if he looked a little doughy. You know, not that I want to talk here, but yeah, you know, no, God, need, no, we're not talking about that. Don't <laughs> get me wrong, but you know, this is another place where I think there is some value, only because you know you're looking at the opponent. Yeah, and you know, you my third one, which oh, you know, I, I was going to see. Can I throw one dog out just to see if uh, to see if we're on the same page? Go. All right. I was going to say, has the whole MMA world discounted and thrown out Edmund Shabazian? Is that yeah, it? that's good. Yep. Go ahead. That's the third one. I was yep. just like, I mean, he lost to a couple of killers in Jack Hermanson and Derek Brunson, but he was supposed to be the next biggest prospect, greatest thing since sliced bread. And now he gets just, you know, a middle tier middleweight against yep. uh, Nasruddin Imavov, and, and he's a betting underdog against it. So, yeah, he, he, he was my third one. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can criticize his. Um, his camp a little bit doesn't he have you know that rousey striking coach and he does yeah the those, glendale guys yep. yeah the, you know that uh you know you think if he really wants to take the step up i mean he's only 23 years old there's plenty of room to grow if he really wants to take the step up he's probably got to get up and move to sanford atp something like that and really get going here but uh i mean yeah he lost to a couple killers the ufc pushed him too fast um, no disrespect to Imavov, Imavov, or however we say it. He, he's ten and three. You know, he lost to Phil Haas, who's fighting on this card. You know, he's got some losses on the regional circuit. You know, there's nothing too crazy. He's only twenty six years old as well, so it's not like where he's getting going up against a much stronger fighter in the prime, prime, prime of his career here. So I don't know. Shabazian was the one that stood out to me a little bit. Yeah, he, he was. Excuse me. Yeah, he was the third one I was looking at. You know, Edmund Shabazian is, is talented. Mm-hmm. He's six foot two. You know, he's a good frame for the middleweight division. There's definitely talent there. You know, 
you just hope that the UFC is a little smarter regarding who they match him up against. And I think he did that here. I think this is a bit fair. Back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't want, you don't want to, you hate to see, and you know, the two prime examples we always talk about is Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, I don't know if, you know, Paige really would have made a difference, but I do think Northcutt was talented and I think he was pushed too far too fast. And I think he suffered because of it. And, you know, Edmund is 23 years old. He'll be 24 in a couple weeks, November 20th. Um, When you're that young, and I've said this before about fighters like Macy Barber, you know, fighters who see fights too for that young. That's not even counting contender series. Right. So if, you know, if you're talking a fighter who's that young, 21, 22, whatever it is, all that really matters. I don't want to say wins and losses don't matter because they do. But what really matters is that they're in the octagon, getting reps, staying healthy, fighting on a regular basis and improving. Now, you know, this is, you know, you don't, you don't want to see this kid lose his third straight fight. So, and then God knows what happens. The UFC could decide to cut bait. Shabazian could decide he wants to fight. You know, a million things could happen. So I think this is certainly a better fight for him. Um, I like the price tag. God, 7700 for a talented guy and plus 105. And even if, you know, you're looking at 7700 if your average 7700 fighter usually has odds much worse than plus 105. So if you're doing a line DK correlation, you're getting some pretty decent value there. But good call. That was definitely my third one. All right, cool. So we're on the same page there. So I was, I was slipping through as you were talking too, and I'm like, you know what? Edmund Shabazian, I remember that guy, you know, again, pushed too hard too fast. All right, so we got through the whole main card. We got through a handful of dogs to help you fill out your lineups. We actually like dogs on the main card. We disagreed on a lot of main card fights, so hopefully the show was, uh, you know, a little more entertaining and less chalky than the last time around for you. But either way, we'd like to thank you for tuning in uh, this afternoon, spending your afternoon with us. Of course, this will be available iTunes, Stitcher, all your favorite podcast platforms. It'll be up on the Rotowire YouTube channel shortly here uh once again you know give john a follow his DraftKings column is up on the website he's doing our he does a, the fight recaps as well give him a follow at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e you can follow me at roto jake uh we're gonna be back with you i uh, got a little hiatus ahead uh, enjoy the thanksgiving and uh and whatnot but uh december 11th ufc 269 poirier versus Oliveira should be a banger john yeah so i was looking to give me one so i was looking at that card the co-main event between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena, you know, isn't isn't great. We're going to probably say the same thing we say about that about all Amanda's fights. But listen to this fights on this card: Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal. Yes, you know, Kai Car France and Cody Garbrandt. You know, should be at least at a minimum entertaining. Mm-hmm. Sean O'Malley's on that card. Jeff Neal and San take on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Dominic yeah, Cruz man. and Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz. I believe yesterday they added Josh Emmett and Dan Ige to that card. Ryan Hall's on that card, which is always, I find fascinating, you know, hardcore fans of MMA find Ryan Hall fights fascinating. He does the shrug. That's my favorite part. This is, that's a a big card. So, you know, we had a couple UFC pay-per-views earlier this year through the summer where the pay-per-views weren't exactly loaded. But now I know last week's Mm -hmm. card wasn't considered a pay-per-view, but 
we're finishing up the year strong. Yep, 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 yep. And then uh, and then in January, we get to see the heavyweights go at it. So Yeah, that'll be good, months, too. A couple strong months ahead. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, I should say rotowire.com slash try, T-R-Y. Gets you 10 days of the website, no strings attached. Uh, you know, we got tons of tools for MMA. And, of course, every major sport is in session right now. So we'll be happy to uh, help you out, whatever your fantasy sports needs are. And, uh, yeah, once again, it's been a pleasure, John. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.